Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Crappy Christian. I am your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids, and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Rob, hey, welcome to the Crappy Christian Podcast. I love that name, by the way. But thanks for having me. <laughs> thank you. I know. I feel like when that. I say it, people are always like, love that name, but thank you for having me on the show. They're like a little <laughs> caught off guard. Uh, so you are a pastor and a husband and a father and an author. When we are recording, your book comes out this month over liked. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about your book? You know, I've been in ministry for, wow, it's going to make me look positively ancient, but probably about 35 years. And, uh, I have my wife and I, we've planted three churches, helped plant seven, um, others consulted around the country. And, you know, we've just seen the trend. We just see where Christianity is going. Uh, me being a, a pretty conservative, definitely Bible believing Christian. Um, it's just hard to see people kind of say, you know, Hey, hey I like Jesus. I don't like the Bible. Let me rip out all these pages and I mean, what we're left is kind of like the cliff notes of the Bible. And so the book is about, um, Overlight is about basically a, a problem that's been there for 3,500 years, which is um, putting too much emphasis on ourselves or making ourselves a functional savior. And social media only turbocharges that. It's like putting the problem that King Saul had, I, I think he's the biggest narcissist in the Bible, putting the problem that he had on steroids, because now he's got all these platforms. If he were alive today, he'd have umpteen million different ways to be a narcissist. Yeah. So it's the danger of that really, and how to keep that in balance. And I love that you're talking about it specifically within the church, right? Because I think that narcissism and, and specifically within the realm of social media, those things are alive and well across the board, but they're, as believers, like we're the ones who, who really like, we have the answer to, to being able to be on social media and not have to be all about you or build a shrine to yourself. And so you, I think that there, I, I think that that conversation is actually kind of lacking within the church of you, there. You have the line of like the social, the social media isn't the problem. It's how we use it. Well, I mean, you just said something really interesting. We have the answer, but, you know, listen, they take polls today and 75% of America still says I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. The average household has nine physical Bibles in their house, but they're collecting dust. I mean, right. not to mention your phones and your iPads, which now have the, so 10, 12, and yeah. they, they don't use them. So we do have the answer. We have God's manual. We just don't open it. Right. Which is that not more the problem than like narcissism and social media is the answer actually that we don't know our, is, is the problem really that we don't know our Bible and the narcissism is a byproduct? Yeah, I don't think narcissism is the, is, is the root thing. I think 
narcissism is the ultimate destination, bad destination if you if you get caught up in this. I mean, the root thing is people ask, ask Jesus, we, we have the answer. Somebody came up to Jesus and said, what's the most important commandment? They had 613 and Jesus made it real clear. Love God with everything you've got, mm-hmm. all your heart, mind. Soul. And if you do that, you won't fall into this trap, social media or not. But social media helps you set up little shrines, little temples, little little virtual temples where you make yourself. Uh, and, and people don't realize they're doing it. I mean, what's wrong with posting something and getting a bunch of likes? Right. Well, right. nothing really, unless your attitude towards that becomes like a dopamine hit. Then it's right. Like- well, I think that's the point that's that has to be made is is it's your the heart and the motive behind it which I think there are two sides to this point. I think that it can also be easy to assume that if somebody has a ton of followers or they do get a ton of likes, that you can assume that that's the heart behind it. But one of the things that I've learned about being in this world for the last, just just in the internet world for the last two years is that, you know, we see this in scripture that God has no problem making, making great the names of those who will make his name great. I love that. Absolutely. King David, he did, he said he right. loved David great, but David wasn't after that. That wasn't David's exactly. Exactly. You know, talk about, uh, I talk about two different people that have opposite goals and you just touched on one of them. One of them is, is David who God gave him everything that Saul wanted mm-hmm. uh, because David loved God so much, but Saul loved Saul so much that Saul ended up dying without any of it. It's, it's really a sad story. And it I is. Comparison to say that, that here we are 30, you know, 3000 years later and nothing's changed. So you have the, the quote unquote, like mega church element, right. That people can look at and that be what they want. Pastors, leaders can, can look at your, what you have and, and what God has given you and that be what they want. And, and sometimes like the same can be the true for this podcast is successful and, you know, we've gotten to, to reach a lot of people and have really incredible conversations. And what is interesting is, is that like, and I, I feel like just from talking with you for a few minutes that you would resonate to say that like God placed us in these places. Like we've worked hard and we've been obedient and we've chosen faithfulness, but ultimately like we can point to that. These are this God has done these things. Absolutely. But you know what, if I'm honest, uh, I mean, I'm not at a mega church right now. I mean, I think with our, our church has six or 700 people right now. I came from a mega church of several thousand, right? uh, but honestly falling into this trap is part of the reason I'm not there anymore. I I mean, I saw churches grow around me. Um, You know, I met, this was in Charlotte, North Carolina. And, uh, our church was really um, spearheading a lot of new things. Uh, You know, we weren't traditional by any means and we were doing things different and really reaching a lot of people that were far from God. But, you know, then other churches came to town, which I should have celebrated and I did, but at times it got really tempting to envy them Mm. as they were growing. In fact, one one guy's a good friend of mine. He's a fantastic preacher. He's well-known and he's, uh, he, he came and we met. And he wanted to know um, just 
you know, our story and how we grew and so much. When I tell you who it is, you'll realize that, I mean, back in the 70s, uh, American car manufacturers, they ruled the world. And then the Japanese just looked at how we were making cars, did it way better and kicked our rear end for right. about 15 to 20 years. Well, this guy came and we had lunch together and I had never seen a guy with more faith. Uh, and what he said, I knew when we were having lunch the first time it was going to grow. And it, it's Elevation Church and it's Stephen Furtick and it's one of the biggest churches uh, and, and we're friends. And, and, and But at times I looked at that and other churches looked at it and went, what's happening to us? I mean, it's like they're taking over the world. And I'm not proud of that, but that's an example of, I think, when I got my eye off the ball, I started looking at other churches and even at times doing what they did just so we would grow. Mm. I'm almost disgusted when I think about it right now, because that's not worshiping or putting God first. That's putting my agenda first. Now, the church we have now because of COVID, there's not as many people coming in person, but I feel like God's given us a, a second or fourth or 18th chance and you know there's there's thousands watching online and i'm just committed not to fall into that trap again i'm yeah. not not gonna build a little shrine to myself this is for jesus not not me well and i think in specifically in the church and pastor realm but also in the internet world there are plenty of examples that you can look back and see where that's exactly what has happened where people probably started out building the kingdom of God, but somewhere along the way, they started building the kingdom of self. And a lot of the time they topple over. Yeah. They're toppling right now to the tune yeah. of about once a year about somebody. It's heartbreaking. It is, but it, it boils down to, do, do you think it boils down to that? They started building a kingdom for themselves instead of God's. I mean, there's no denying that in some cases that happened. Uh, you know, I think everybody struggles with that. A lot of oh, pastors, absolutely. I think there's pastors that you know right now are doing fantastic, and it's all about God. But to say, I mean, I mean, I think if you ask them and they're honest, they would say they've struggled with it. They just didn't let it beat them. They didn't let it take over. They confessed it. They knew that it was wrong, and they and I did the same thing. I recognized that in my life, and I tried to keep it in tried to keep it in check. Uh, but, you know, there, there's easy temptations. You can start out wanting so much for those that are far from God to hear about Jesus Christ and come to faith, and you want to have them publicly profess it in baptism. But then that's happening a lot. I think six, 7,000 people came to Christ in, in North Carolina over about 17 years. But it's very easy, you know, if that ebbs and flows or dips a little bit, it's very easy to go, we got to get those numbers back up. Mm-hmm. Think about what I just said. They're not mm -hmm. numbers. I mean, I've got friends that say they are numbers and we're all about the numbers. Man, I would never say that. Please don't call people a number. I get what you're saying mm -hmm. and you've got to give them the gospel. But when that little tiny shift takes place, um, you may not be trying to reach people far from God. You may be trying to keep the machine going. And that's, yeah. that's just the way that pastors can fall into this trap. But listen, you don't have to be a pastor. Everybody is paddling. You can sit in your parents' basement in your pajamas and become TikTok famous, you know, just yeah. not doing anything. And then yeah. there's a, and if you really, TikTok, I think really has uh, probably a more powerful pull than Instagram or Facebook or anything else. And you see people that are, uh, I mean, they're, they're upfront about it. 
this is what I do. Uh, you know, there's people that say, man, I'd sell my soul for more likes and followers. And I mean, they're just saying it. They're not even trying to hide. Yeah. So circling back to the, the previous statement of that social media isn't the problem. It's how we use it. Do you have thoughts on how specifically as believers, pastors, leaders, social media can be used well and not become a problem? Oh, I have a, I have a lot of thoughts about it. it. It's probably depth of your heart, the time that you spend, um, and the people that you're trying to impress. Mm-hmm. You got to check all three of those, mostly probably the depth of your heart, but then the time you spend. So, I mean, if you get up in the morning and the first thing you do is reach for your phone, uh, or even when you go to bed at night, are you taking your phone to bed? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I talk to a lot of married couples and they both do. Mm-hmm. And so I think, look, you're telling your spouse who's more important. Yeah. It's your phone. So I, I think, listen, it's good because at no other time in history, we've been able to leverage technology to reach the whole earth. I celebrate this. I'm so excited about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in Africa when COVID hit uh, in early 2020. We, were, we barely got back. It was late February, when early March, and we were coming back. Went to six different countries. And this is not an American thing. In fact, it's probably worse in all these yeah. countries because no matter how poor you are, you seem to be able to scrape together enough money to get a phone. Mm. Or everybody, everybody in Haiti, for goodness sakes, has a smartphone. They could live in a, in a hut, but they have a smartphone. So that just tells you they have that potential temple. They have that potential shrine. And it can connect you with people. It can tell people all over the world about Jesus. It can be fantastic, but let's face it, it's so powerful that, I mean, anything that powerful, you, you know, all you gotta do is watch Star Wars, for goodness sake. <laughs> anything that powerful could be used for the light or the dark. Absolutely. No, absolutely. That's interesting about other countries that you would, you kind of assume that it's an American issue and that we're like the worst about it, but it's probably more of a human issue than an American issue. Uh, and, and to what you said, I mean, I've always, I've always said that I love that I can reach more people. If the number of people who listen to this podcast were in a stadium waiting for me to talk, I would have a panic attack. Like that would be, oh my God, that's my nightmare. But I get to like, sit in this room and and connect with people all around the world and then put that conversation out back into the world. And I don't ever have to leave my kids. I don't ever have to leave my husband. I don't ever have to leave my home. And that is such a gift because we do get to reach so many people. But like that comparison that you were giving in the beginning of Saul and David, it's it's whose kingdom are you adding to and whose glory yeah. are you working for that that really matters and you kind of alluded to this earlier do you think it's just small shifts that happen along the way and all of a sudden you realize you're heading in a direction you you didn't mean to be uh yes i do think it's small small shifts very few people would fall for a giant leap mm-hmm. um, too obvious but if you think about how it happened Uh, with Saul and David, Um, listen, there was a foundation from the very beginning with Saul that showed the whole nation had this disease. 
Remember, mm-hmm. they begged for a king. And mm-hmm. then I, I use a football analogy and basically God gave them the first draft pick. And what did they go for? All scripture says is that Saul was the most handsome and that he was head and shoulders taller than any man. They went for a GQ cover guy who could come <laughs> the basketball. That's, that's what they went for. Yeah. That's it. So if the whole nation kind of wanted that, that showed that it was a time in Israel's history where the whole nation was struggling with self-worship or optics or image. Not True. just so Saul, think about it. He starts off on that wrong foundation. And then, like you said, he just keeps building on it. Now, Saul didn't have an excuse because Samuel warned him over and over again, stop doing this. You're you're worried about how you look. You're worried about songs people are singing. You know, you've slain your thousands, but David slain his 10,000. You're, you're, stop focusing on that. Be the king that loves God and you'll do all right. But instead he built his own shrine without Facebook, without Instagram, without <laughs> did that. What's real. So the story of David is actually one of my favorites in scripture. And what's really interesting to your point is that you, know, you made the point earlier that Saul ends up hating David because God gives David what Saul has always wanted. And it's, I, if I remember correctly, it's a chapter difference between Saul calling David his like most beloved and throwing a spear at his head. It's actually something that happens probably 10 or 15 times. Right, exactly. But that's how fast Saul turns that corner of loving him. Success happens within a chapter. David defeats Goliath. The people start singing the songs. You know, Saul puts him in in a place of, of power in the army and boom. And like that, if nothing else, shows us the 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 perverting power of success, if that's what our heart is set on. Well, there's another thing that you can, you're absolutely right, by the way, but there's another thing you can add in there that I think turbocharges it. And the first time that Saul envied David, when he killed Goliath and married his daughter, and then went out and won victory after victory over the Philistines, it kind of built. It, mm-hmm. it was a little bit of, and you could see it stewing. And then, you know, he was throwing spears at him, trying to pin him against the wall. But the time that breaks my heart the most, then it, then it gets in this pattern where people talk him out of it. And he realizes, mm-hmm. David loves me. He's a good guy. He gets good for a couple months, maybe even a year. Then he goes back. But there was a time when he was so rotted in his soul, so narcissistic. He has the army. He's chasing David. It had been about a decade. David's hiding in a cave where Saul goes into this, is this uh, uh, adult rated? I don't know. But Saul goes yes. in there. He's relieving himself in the cave. Yeah. And David and his men, 600 men, it's a huge cave. By the way, I've been to Israel and you can see caves like this. They're way in the back hiding. And David cuts off the hem of, of Saul's robe just so he can prove later that he could have killed him. Mm-hmm. Well, to make a long story short, Saul's mustering the men to go after him again. And David appears high up on the rocks and he shouts down and he goes, Saul, why are you after me? And then he shows him the hem of his robe that he cut off. He said, I was in that cave. I could have killed you. I'm not after you. I'm not the bad guy. I don't hate you. Saul was brokenhearted. And it says he took his men and he went back and he was completely crushed that he was acting that way. But that was the quickest turnaround ever because the people kept loving David 
he realized he was wrong, but the envy that got in there said, I don't care. Right. I'm going to kill him anyway. And that, that, that's where you realize his narcissism is so bad that at that point there is no cure for Saul. Mm-hmm. You guys, I am so excited to be partnering with Compassion International for the next few weeks to shine a light on the work they are currently doing in Brazil. Right now, there are over 4,000 children in Brazil waiting to be sponsored, and the crappy Christian community is going to do their part to help. So for $38 a month, you can provide education, supplements, health care, Christ-centered guidance, recreational activities, and the love these kids need to discover their true value in Christ through a relationship with a local church. This is just a really tangible way to be the hands and feet of Christ for kids who otherwise don't have access to the basic things they need to survive. And for the next few weeks, as a gift for you joining me in this movement, you will get free access to a really fun live event that I am hosting August 3rd when you sign up to sponsor a child. We'll be hanging out live on Zoom, answering questions, talking about all my favorite stuff. It's just going to be a really good time. So you can head to crappychristianco.com slash links to find out more information about sponsoring a child to sign up and get access to the live event. Please consider and pray about joining me in making a difference in these kids' lives. Okay, let's get back to the show. Yeah, that, there are so many elements to that story. It does, you've made the point, continue to build on itself that it starts out not great. Like he's just, Saul is just jealous and then it escalates and, and continues to escalate. And I've watched this unfold in real time and you've kind of alluded to the same of watching success come between people who love each other watching one person's success victory ruin friendships ruin relationships rip apart churches and i think that the saddest part is often when you know the heart of the successful person is like i this i don't I, this is i don't need any of this like, this is where God has put me. I love you. I want to, to you know, continue to love you. And uh, that, that doesn't seem to matter that, that, that the person is extending that to the other person. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I think that's an indication. I do talk about warning signs, you know, because people are going to want to know, well, where am I? There's actually mm-hmm. a couple tests you can take in the book about where am I on this danger scale of, uh, you know, am I just having fun with this or or am I headed to becoming a narcissist? And, you know, I've met pastors where you have a conversation with them and they've got a huge following. You walk away and you go, I would love to tell that guy he's mm-hmm. on the end of a cliff, but I promise he wouldn't listen. Right. And I, other, I was in a round table with a, a, a several really, really awesome ministers that are making such an impact. And I'll, I'm not going to tell you about a couple of them that were on the edge of the cliff. I don't need to do that. I'll just tell you a couple that didn't seem to be there that have quite a following and man, their heart is so good. Um, I've met, I've been at three different events with this guy and um, talked to him several times. Uh, He wrote a book called through the eyes of a lion, Levi Lusco. And uh, it was about the passing of his daughter. I think when she was nine, I, I sobbed like a baby reading that Mm -hmm. book. And I knew that in ministry, um, you know, 
the God of Romans 8, who can even take bad and work it together for good, had done that in Levi's life. And when you spend time with him, he can be in the room with 20 mega church pastors, and he always seeks out um, probably the, the smallest church person or just wants to get to know you, talks humbly, and, you know, probably didn't even know. I'm, I'm just watching these guys, and I'm watching Levi, and I'm thinking, wow, none of this seems to have gone to his head. Mm. I mean, what a genuine, in fact, he's been broken and hurt so much that this is a guy that probably, <laughs> I'm probably going to ding my own book here, but I would say Levi Lesko at this stage doesn't need to read it. Mm. He, he yeah. Well, it's a huge compliment. It's a, I hope people say that about me, but honestly, I wrote it because at the, at the time it was bothering me so much, I had fallen into the trap. I, yeah. I don't want to live my life that way. I don't want to stand before God and, and, and have to explain how I built these different social platform shrines yeah. just so people would think, wow, you're, you're an incredible pastor. Wow, you've got incredible wisdom. What does incredible wisdom or any of that mean if it's all pointing back to yourself? Yeah. I appreciate that you're like humbly honest about like, I wrote this book because I needed it and because I fell into this trap. And I'm, I know that this is, is in the book. So without, you know, you want people to read the book, but what, what helped you get out of that trap? You know, my, uh, my son and daughter, God has been good. My family all loves the Lord. My son is, I can't even talk about where he's at. He's off serving the Lord in, in pretty dangerous places. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't get to see him. He's very far away. He's, they call him baby Jesus. He's 23 years old, but he lives so all out for God. And, you know, when all this happened, you know, I was kind of struggling with this stuff years ago. My own kids came to me and they said, Dad, you, you know, I know you were hurt by, you know, some of the, you know, there's a, there's a lot of hurt in ministry. You got to know that. That's why you call this crappy Christian. 100%. <laughs> because Christians can be crappy. Yep. Uh, sometimes they're better at that than anybody else. So, but my kids came to me and they just said, dad, you hardly laugh anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're not. And, you know, I was, here's the problem. I felt like I had planted yet another church. We launched another one. It was doing good. We were reaching people, but here's the trap. You know, here the followers were going back up. The social platforms were growing. Uh, I was speaking places, but my own kids are, they're not buying it. They're pulling back the curtain of the wizard of Oz and going, <laughs> You know, Dad, you're 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 you used to be so much fun, and that broke my heart. Absolutely, I, thought I did it again. I almost fell in it again. So I, I mean, they got me out of that. Snapped me out of it. Then I realized that I'm going to have to put some things into my life that I do daily that I never fall into this again because mm -hmm. I love my family. I've been blessed. I'm in ministry because God called me. I want to move the ball down the field for Jesus, not for me. And by the way, that's not false humility. You, what you said at the very beginning is God wants to really, God does not mind lifting up his children. No. So if you move the ball down the field for God, you score a touchdown for yourself too. So Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, I think going back to, to talking about your kids kind of being what snapped you out of it. That is when I talk to people about being in, you know, I'm in like internet ministry, I guess you could say, and podcasting and, and Instagram and writing and all of that kind of stuff. And they ask for advice 
uh, most often what I say is like, you need to have no people in your life. You need to have people who tell you, no, you need to have people who tell you that's not a good idea. You need to have people who will call you on your crap until you've gotten full of yourself or too big for your, you're getting too big for your britches. And you, you know, it's your job to not only, the only way to have those people in your life is to be receptive when people say that kind of stuff to you. Because the easiest way to push all of those people out is when they, you know, they have the courage to say those things to you and you stiff arm them. And so there's something to be said about the fact that your kids came to you with that and you were receptive to it because there are plenty of people who would have been like, whatever, I'm so fun. What are you talking about? Like, look how, look what I'm doing. I'm so much fun. So I think a lot of the time these, these leaders that we are seeing topple over, which is just so heartbreaking. I can't help but wonder, like, do you just not have any no people in your life? Do you have nobody holding you accountable? Or sometimes it's like, are you that good of a liar? But I think that's such an important and honestly vital part of, I I just had that experience today where I'm kind of dealing with something on the internet and I had to go to my people that I know would tell me to pump the brakes if it was time, if I needed to. And I was like, I need you to tell me to pump the brakes or I'm going full speed ahead. You know, and, and in this situation, they were like, no, like, I think it's time. I think you need to handle this. I think it needs to be dealt with, you know, in a Christ-like manner. But in the past, they've told me, like, uh, no, you need to put your phone down. You need to walk away. You need to go do something else. And it's, it, that comes back on you be receptive to that kind of feedback. Wow. I mean, you've got a lot of insight and listen again, that's not something new. You can see that in Saul. That's all Saul had. Uh, the only one that would ever tell it's weird because listen, we're talking about our kids. The only one that would ever be honest with Saul was his son, Jonathan. And he would not listen. To Jonathan and listen in and David's not the guy who never struggled with this come on we know David had a year where he was horrible right and what happened in that year he did not have no people there wasn't a right. single person that could come to him but listen his heart was so right that eventually didn't a no person come to him I mean Nathan the prophet Nathan. came yep. to him and by the way my son's name is Nathan Oh, so, yeah. that's awesome. so Nathan, the prophet, my son comes to me uh, better than anybody else and calls me on my stuff, on yeah. my Christian crappy stuff when, when it is, when it's wrong. And listen, I know his heart is so good mm-hmm. and he's so honest. He would never lie to me. He wants the best for me, but, but so does God. I want people to know that about David though, because I don't want the book to come across though. There's narcissists and then perfect people. Right. Exactly. But that is the difference right? That David has his struggles and he pays for them, but he also, there's somebody that I've interviewed just recently, their kind of premise of their message is like, get you a Nathan. Like you need to have a Nathan. You need to have somebody that's going to call you on your crap. that's going to tell you no, that's going to, you know, and there, there are times where Nathan gets brutal with David because David needs it, you know, because I think like you're saying, you know, David was considered a man after God's own heart, that doesn't mean he didn't struggle. And I think there are a lot of people who need that message too, who more often than not, their heart is focused, you know, the eyes of their heart are focused on Jesus and they, they are running you know, to use your analogy. I'm an analogy nerd, by the way, I love me some analogies, but I love that analogy of like running the ball down the field for Jesus. Well, if the crowd is really loud and they're screaming your name, it can get easy to think you're running the ball down the down 
the field for yourself. Like sometimes you need a Nathan to like, you know, clothesline you and be like, no, like, no, that's not what we're doing. Okay. Get back up. Let's do this again the right way. And I'm thankful to have people like that in my life. And I think that if more leadership and more people on the internet and more pastors were willing to do that, I don't, I, I don't think we would have the, as much of the issues that we, as we do, because it is a, a it can be a natural position of our heart, but God has given us tools to combat it. You know, and, and if you think about it, that no person needs to be more often than not is probably not a super famous person with a ton of followers because listen percent they hated they were hated by by the nathan didn't care what people thought so he was the Amen. best guy he wasn't like this is gonna hurt my tiktok right you know, thing. he just didn't have that so he was the best guy to go to David. my all of the closest people in my life most of them actually don't even have instagram I don't think any of them actually listen to my podcast because they just aren't podcast people, which is like, I don't listen to my own podcast. Like I don't listen to podcasts like this. It, it doesn't hurt my feelings, but that is one of the greatest assets in my life is having people. My husband does not have social media at, at all. He doesn't have an Instagram. He doesn't have a Facebook. He listens to my podcast when I'm like, Hey, I think you'll like this episode, but that is without a doubt, the greatest asset in my quote unquote career is that I'm surrounded by people who do not give a crap that I have 30,000 followers. They even have, they're not dealing with that strong gravitational pull every day. Cause right. yeah, some of the elders actually all the elders, but maybe one in my church don't even have Facebook. How rare yeah. is that? That's amazing. That's, so that's an, I think it's an asset. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Uh, I think that I'm excited for people to read your book because this is what, and this applies whether you have a quote unquote following or a church or not, because there is always there. If, if that desire for like to be seen and heard is in your heart at all, like the enemy will manipulate what you have online to push you that way, no matter what the numbers dictate. And so I think that this is for, I think it's easy to think that this is just for whatever, just for those people. And it's, I think that this is for everybody. That, that, that brings to mind two things. One, you're, you're right. Satan will always be willing to point you in, in that direction. When you read the story of Jonah and he wanted to run from God, I always say this, you know, there just happened to be a ship, uh, <laughs> which was the furthest known place in the known world away from Nineveh. Yeah. And, you know, who provided that ship? I mean, scripture makes it real clear that, you know, Satan, you know, was all for Jonah running away. And so he'll, yep. uh, but I also wanted to talk about the other side. I did struggle and I've shared enough, I think about that to make it clear that I'm not trying to say I'm, a, I'm exempt from this. I'm definitely not. But I also went on the opposite side. I struggled for years. You know, we planted this church that, that grew to, to um, just be used of God so tremendously with a couple people in our family room that God also used to grow great ministries. Uh, there were only eight people in our family room. Uh, it grew to several thousand. Two of those people were Art and Lisa Turkers, and she was planting her own ministry. You know, yeah. she's got this little newsletter, Proverbs 31. 
and it's growing. And as things are growing, uh, Proverbs 31 and that just grew astronomical. And the Lord has really used her along the way. She would tell me all the time, you know, I've learned so much. This has been just a great church to be a part of. We're, we're best of friends. But she said, how come you never write a book? How come you never share this with people? And I actually struggled for years on the other side of it where I thought, I don't want to get caught up in that. I don't want to write yeah. a book. I don't want to do the stuff that, that people do to kind of, <laughs> I thought she, she pretty much chastised me and said, you've got a lot to share, but I mean, I guess you're so worried about, you know, what that'll yeah. do to your heart. Well then get your heart right. <laughs> Just yeah. write a book. And so she, when I finally did it, she was gracious enough to, she wrote the forward on this. And if you read that, um, I think you'll really, what I just said, you'll hear that heart come out in her. Yeah. She, she says in the forward, over all the years, I've often wished he would do this. Well, just so you know, that's why I wouldn't do it. Yeah. I, actually, I didn't trust myself enough. Yeah. I do. I think that that is very prominent as well which I think to a degree is honorable, but it also is, I think sometimes can position yourself that like you think your struggles are greater than what God could do with it. And I've, I've been there as well. Like, I don't want to do that because my thing, like, I don't want people to think I'm full of myself. And I've had God be like, Hey, why don't you sit down and like use the gifts that I have given you and the wisdom I've given you. Like you let me take care of what people think about you. <laughs> you know, it's so funny that you just said, I don't want to think, people to think I'm full of myself, which is exactly what I thought. But here's what I felt like God said. You only feel that way because you're full of yourself. I mean, so mm. I'm like, you're already struggling with that. You think you're, I mean, that's a form of, of, oh, woe is me. Mm-hmm. Kind of there, listen, I just needed to trust God. And say, God, I, you know my heart. You know my yeah. heart goes astray. Please keep it on track. I will do this, but I'm but I'm weak. Help mm-hmm. me not turn this into the very. It would be a shame to write overliked and then for me to become overliked. Yeah, that, that would be a shame. Yeah, this is the ultimate accountability. Is is writing the book? You literally wrote the book on becoming overliked. Exactly. <laughs> this is. This has been the great, my, my publisher even just laughs because they go, this is the hardest book to promote because it's about not promoting yourself. So it, <laughs> we're really struggling with that. It's hard to get the word out. Absolutely. It's a dichotomy. It's just really a struggle. It is. But I mean, I feel like just from our conversation for the last like hour, it doesn't come across like. It's easy. This is an easy topic to have conversations about. And and this topic is easy to promote. And I don't feel like it's been self-promotional. Like in a minute, I'm going to tell you, like ask you, like tell people where to find and follow you because I want people to like learn from you. But there's a lot of nuance to this conversation. I think that unfortunately people tend to be incapable of, but that I can come to the table and, and talk about like, Hey, this is something that I've struggled with. This is something that can be like the nature of the human heart. I'm not trying to tell you I'm perfect at it. I'm not trying to tell you that I'm never going to get this wrong, but I do like, let's talk about it. And I think that that's important. And I think that this, I'm personally very much looking forward to this book coming out. I want to read it. Well, thank you. Uh, You know, listen, I'm in my fifties now. I'm not trying to be the, I'm not trying to be to, to do 
most of what you have to do to get up front, right? right. Look a certain part. That ship has has sailed. But I think if I keep making excuses and not getting the word out here, I'm going to be looking at coming to the the twilight of my life, and the Lord's going to say, "Why didn't you share that? Mm. Those struggles that could have helped people." So I am past that now, but. I just, I, I kind of get a, a, a kick out of that. I kind of laugh when my publisher that is, it's funny. When they yeah. say that, I'm like, hey, this has been my struggle the whole time. It's why, it's why I didn't write it. Yeah. No, it makes a ton of sense. So let's promote your book. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time this episode comes out, Overlight is on shelves. You can get it wherever you get your books. Um, where can we find and follow you online though? I mean, the one-stop shop is robsingleton.com. Perfect. That tells you where my Instagram and, and <laughs> there it is. I've already got that feeling. And that's uh, <laughs> uh, the other places, you know, yeah. but if you go there, you can, whatever it is you're after, we just kind of made a one-stop shop. Perfect. And we'll link to that. That is linked in our show description. Rob, thank you so much for taking the time to kind of lay this out and talk about something that needs to be talked about, but sometimes can be uncomfortable, which is kind of what the Crappy Christian Podcast is all about. We've so enjoyed having you. Well, thank you. If you ever need any more of a Crappy Christian, I'm I'm your man. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right. See you next week.